Help us. Acts chapter 24 this morning. If you found your place, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. We'll read our text here and, and get into the message this morning. Acts chapter 24. I want you to look with me in verse number 22. And we're going to pick up, I'm going to explain where we're at in Scripture in just a moment. We're going to pick up in verse number 22 uh, for the sake of time. And uh, the Bible says, And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, and by the way, um, <clears throat> that way is referring to Christianity. Uh, in the first century church, uh, they were, uh, they were uh, Jesus. Did he, did he not himself call himself the way? the truth, and the life. And so uh, it was known the followers of Christianity or Christians in that day were known to follow the way is what it was called. And uh, followers of Christ were known as Christians. And um, and uh, it's interesting, it says having more perfect knowledge of that way. So setting us up here, this man Felix, uh, he had a Jewish uh, wife and, and uh, he had more knowledge than most of the governors and most of Rome concerning Christianity or the way. And uh, the Bible says here, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty that he should uh, forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewish, uh, Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Verse 25 says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. Quite literally, what that's talking about is he, uh, he would send for him often in hopes that he could get some money. They're kind of, the politicians in that day are kind of like the politicians of our day. Uh, if you got enough money, you can do just about anything. So literally speaking, this man Felix is holding Paul as a prisoner, and he goes on for two years, the Bible says in verse 27, and he would come to him and he would get Paul and, and, and in hopes that Paul would finally say, hey man, if you let me out of here, I'll give you some money. Uh, and, and don't we still kind of work, ain't that bail money? Yeah, anyways, uh, with, his, with enough money, you can do just about anything. Sad, ain't it? The only thing money won't get you is heaven. I'll just be honest with you. In this world, it'll get you a lot of things, but it don't work too hot in the world to come. You know it? And the Bible says in verse 27, But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. I thank you for uh, standing this morning for the reading of the Word of God. You can be seated. 
Now, I told you a while ago we'd get into some context of what's going on here. And so what we're reading here is, is what happens right after Paul stands toe-to-toe with the council in Jerusalem. And by the way, he stood toe-to-toe with the council in Jerusalem with a good conscience before God. That's what the Bible tells us. Many of the devout Jews hated Paul's message. You know why? They hated his message because the same reason they hated Jesus' message. And here was here's what it was. They, if their message, Jesus' message, as it does still today, challenges their orthodox system. It challenges any kind of man's tradition. It challenges what the Jews, the Orthodox Jews even today believe. It's the same problem. The same problem that they have today is the same problem they had back then. And here's the other thing. You can see this in America. You can see this in our government. You can see this with school boards. You can see this almost universally anywhere. When you are preaching the unadulterated, unaltered Word of God, people get mad and they get offended at it. Why? Because it is truth. It's because it breaks down not just an orthodox system. It, does, it breaks down everything about what we think we know. Everything. And so uh, they, these people, these men, they had spread many slanderous rumors and accusations about Paul, which caused their leaders to step in and investigate their claims. Now here's what's interesting. Just like with Jesus, they could find nothing on Paul. You know why? There was nothing to find on him. There was nothing to find. You know what he was guilty of? He was guilty of preaching Christ, proclaiming Christ, presenting Christ, promoting Christ, and pleasing Christ. That's what Paul had done. And they didn't like it. And guess what? It's not going to be long. We're seeing the same thing in our day. We're already seeing the same thing overseas. Hey, if you are proclaiming the truth, if you are preaching Christ, proclaiming good Lord. Y'all help me this way. Y'all just pray. Proclaiming Christ, presenting Christ, promoting Christ, and pleasing Christ, then the world is going to hate you. Jesus even tells us to, he said, of no marvel. They hated me, so they're going to hate you too. So the council arranges here for Paul to be sent to Caesarea to stand before the governor, Felix. As Acts chapter 24 unfolds, Ananias, the high priest, came down with Tertullus to inform the governor against Paul. So here they are. They've already put him, they've already been doing things. They've been slandering him. They've been accusing him. And there's some unrest going on. And here comes the government. And they're saying, hey, we want to know what's going on. And so the men, they take Paul and they go to the governor and explain everything. Now, Felix was the governor of the Roman province of Syria, which also included Judea. And through family connections and political manipulations, Felix was appointed governor. Let me just go ahead and tell you, he was politically ambitious and morally bankrupt. In other words, he did anything and everything that he could to get where he was. Yeah, things ain't changed a whole lot. Things ain't changed a whole lot. Felix was out to make a name for himself politically. 
The Apostle Paul would have been a tremendous notch in his belt, his political belt. And so Paul is brought before Felix, and this is where we pick up our text today. We are reading of what happens next. Now, there are three things that I want to give you quickly this morning that happened and preach on the thought of hitting the target. Hitting the target. And as I give you my points, you'll understand why I chose that title. Number one, I want you to notice, look in verse number 24 and 25 of the text this morning, Acts chapter 24. We find, number one, we find that a sermon was aimed. A sermon that was aimed. It says, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And so we see that Paul, uh, Paul didn't mince words. He didn't, he, he, he got right to the point. And right, right here after some time, and after some time is talking about from the time that Paul first talked to uh, the high priest to the time that the high priest brought him to the governors. And uh, after some time, he comes, uh, Felix comes in and he comes with his wife, uh, Drusilla, to hear Paul. And what was Paul going to do? Well, he was going to preach. Why? Because that was the most important thing that they could have heard. I've often said it this way. One of the things that has helped me in witnessing and helped me uh, for some time, people always wonder, well, how do you talk to somebody? I don't know how to start a conversation. Well, start it the way Jesus did. John chapter 3, when you read through that in the context of witnessing, things become quite simple. Uh, here we go, John, uh, Jesus meets Nicodemus at night. And Nicodemus, after they say hello to each other, what's the first thing Jesus does? He says, "Ye must be born again. You know why? Because nothing else matters if you're not born again. They didn't talk about the weather. They didn't talk about family. They didn't talk about what was going on with the political system. He said, ye must be born again. And boy, that opened up a very interesting conversation. So what did Paul do? Paul's going before the governor. Paul's going before the high and mighty. And what does he do? He preaches a gospel message. You know why? Because he didn't have time for nothing else. Nothing else is important. Amen. Come on now, nothing else is important. You tell me, what is one thing that is more important than a person's eternal soul? Nothing. What has more value than a person's eternal soul? Nothing. So, Paul gets down to the nitty gritty. He's going to preach. Now here's some interesting facts concerning this woman Drusilla, okay? And uh, Drusilla's great-grandfather was Herod. The Herod that tried to kill the Lord Jesus. The one that ordered all of the male children up to two years old in Bethlehem to be killed. You can read about Matthew chapter 2. Drusilla's great uncle was the Herod that killed John the Baptist and mocked the Lord Jesus that we read about in Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. Drusilla was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, who was the king that had James murdered and who had Peter arrested and was about to kill Peter that we read about in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 23. So things ain't looking good. 
I've already mentioned that Felix was morally bankrupt. He was a dirty politician, and now we learn these facts about his wife, Drusilla. And I wanted to mention those things because when Paul gets an opportunity to speak before them, he preaches. And he doesn't pull any punches. He made a beeline to the cross. What did he preach? He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't care who he was talking to. Are y'all seeing this? Now, I'll just be honest with you. I'd be a little nervous. Let's just say, let's just put it this way. What would you do today if you were invited to speak to our president? You don't have to answer out loud. What would you do today if you had that opportunity? What would, you today, what would you do today in America if you had the opportunity? You know, politically, it's been a big deal this week that the communist dictator of China paid a visit over here. I think it's scary that he paid a visit to this. I, got, I can't get into that. Paid a visit. Anyways. Well, I'll just say it. Y'all going to be wondering now. We had one communist dictator pay a visit to another communist dictator in California. If you're wondering who I'm talking about, it's the governor, Gavin Newsom, who, by the way, they're saying is going to be running for the next president for the DN. I don't know. Anyways. Y'all need to pray. I need to pray. Anyways. What would you do? If you had an opportunity to go talk to that dictator, what would you do today if you had a office with the North Carolina governor? That's what we're talking about right here. The only difference is back then, I, the only difference is in America, we are much more free. To speak. Uh, I'm going somewhere with this, y'all. Are y'all seeing what I'm saying here? In America, we are much more free to speak to. Hey, back then, you didn't go to a governor and speak your mind. More than likely, you'd never be seen again. Just like what you would do in China today if you were in China speaking to the dictator of China. But if the dictator of China comes to America, he can't touch you. So what would you say given that opportunity? See, Paul here knew full and well he may never see the light of day again. He could be killed on the spot. He could be imprisoned the rest of his life. But what does he do? He preaches Boldly. And most of us, given the opportunity to speak to a governor, speak to a president, I'm just asking, would you even mention the gospel? Amen. It's food for thought. Go home and think about it. 
What does Paul do? Everywhere Paul went. I've preached the latter part of this chapter before because he goes from the high priest, he goes from the leaders of the religious world to the mid-tier leadership of Rome, which is the governors, and then at the end, or going into chapter 25, which I've preached on before, he even gets an audience with the king. What does he do every time? He makes a beeline for the cross. He talks about the most important thing that he could talk about. John Butler wrote this. He said there was absolutely no compromise in his message. Paul did not fear the one who had the keys to prison. He feared the one who had the keys to heaven. Amen. Hugh Latimer, the English reformer, preached often before King Henry VIII. And on one occasion, Latimer offended the king with a bold message. So he was commanded to preach the following weekend and make an apology to King Henry VIII. On the next Sunday, after reading his text, Latimer addressed himself with these words. He goes before the king, he reads the text, and then he reads this letter to himself. He says, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease, but then consider well, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence thou comest? and upon whose message thou art sent. Even by the great and mighty God, who is all present, who beholdeth all thy ways, and is able to cast thy soul in hell. Therefore take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. Hugh Latimer then proceeded to give the exact same sermon he had preached the week before, only this time he gave it with more fire and with more fervency. You know why? Because he was he feared and reverenced the very God of heaven who can destroy your soul. Than the kings of this earth who can only destroy your life. Think about that. Oh, there's a Bible verse for that, and I, that's, that's my Logapian paraphrase of it because my mind ain't working too hot this morning. The Bible tells us to fear God. What can man do? Well, man can put us in a grave. <laughs> he can't destroy our soul, though. Often said it this way, the worst thing that mankind can do to me is put me in an express lane to heaven. You know why? Because they can't destroy my soul. We need to remember that. We need to think about those things. And, and, and think about that. The kind of preacher, this is the kind of preacher that Paul was. When opportunity knocks, y'all, we need to take advantage of that opportunity. And let me tell you about this sermon real quick. Paul preached a three-point sermon that day. He must have been Baptist, what do you think? Three-point sermon. Yeah. The Bible says in verse 25, it says, And as he, talking about Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. That's his three-point sermon. 
He preached about righteousness. Paul declared the righteousness, the righteous requirements of God, his perfect standard, which everybody has come short of. There was no righteousness or there was no uprightness of character from Felix or Drusilla. Romans 3.10 tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, when we talk, when we talk with lost people, they need to understand that God is holy and we are not. That He is righteous and we are sinners. You know one of the biggest problems we have in our day? One of our biggest problems in the church, out of the church, we don't know who God is. This world would have us. Uh, this world would have... I mean, you think about it. When he's been referenced as the man upstairs. He's been referenced as dude. He's been referenced as... He has been made into the image of this little, uh, cute, uh, uh, cuddly little grandpa that couldn't make anybody mad. And that'll give you anything that you want. Because he loves you that much. Hmm. It's a problem. It causes disrespect. I don't like it when people say the man upstairs. Number one, he's not a man. Don't insult him like that. He's God. He's above us. In so many ways. We are the created. He is the creator. He has all power. We have no power. We need to understand who God is. We can never be saved. Let me, let me, let me tell you. As the old preacher used to say, you can't, get you can't get saved until you realize you're lost. And I'm afraid that so many people out in the world today has seen the church disrespect God and deconstruct God to the point where they don't even worry about Him. You know, there was a time in our nation that even people that would tell you they were lost still believed in God and respected God. Yeah, but not today. I'm going to tell you something. My grandma and my grandpa on my daddy's side had more respect for God. And they didn't get saved. I can't remember exactly. They didn't get saved until the 80s maybe. So they would have been, I mean, I'm talking, they had more respect for God as lost and undone on their way to hell, even into their 40s and 50s. They had more respect for God than most church people do in 2023. That is a problem. That's a problem. People no longer see themselves sinful. We talk about mistakes, weaknesses, inherited tendencies, faults, and even errors. But here's what we don't do. We don't face up to the fact of sin. We make all sorts of excuses. But a holy God demands righteousness. And here's the good news, y'all. He provides righteousness to those who trust in His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We can never be saved by our own righteousness of good works. We can only be saved through Christ's righteousness that is made available by His finished work of salvation on the cross of Calvary. 
So Paul here, he preached about righteousness. You ever want to know what to talk about? Hey, I'm telling you, the Bible's got answers for everything. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm giving you some good ideas on how to speak with people. You know how to witness to somebody? Here's a good outline to go with. Talk to them about righteousness. Take them to the Ten Commandments. Show them how nobody can keep the law. Nobody. Hey, they may, they may not have ever murdered anybody, but I guarantee they've lied. I guarantee they've taken the name of the Lord God in vain. I don't know too many people that ain't. And if you can't get them on any of that, you'll definitely get them on, uh, on uh, uh, adultery. Especially, oh, did that surprise you? What do you mean, preacher? Not everybody's cheating on their wives or husbands. Well, if you go to the book of Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount and look at Jesus' Jesus's definition of adultery. Oh, yeah. Whoa! Let me just tell you so we're clear. Jesus said, if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery. Yeah. Well, that really brings the rubber to the road, don't it? We talk about righteousness. It's what, it's what Paul did here. He preached about righteousness. Look at this, number two. He preached about temperance. Oh, man. The word temperance is used four times in the New Testament. This word refers to having self-control. And you know, let me just tell you something about self-control. Man can control almost everything but himself. Amen or oh me. You know I said the truth. Man likes to have control. Man likes to have control over everything. There's one thing he cannot control without the Holy Spirit. That's himself. Here we find Felix and Drusilla, prime illustrations of lack of self-control. You see, when you look in the history books, you find out that Drusilla divorced her husband to become Felix's third wife. And though she was a Jewess, she lived as though God had never even given the Ten Commandments. Felix was a morally bankrupt official who didn't hesitate to lie or even to murder it in order to get rid of his enemies and promote himself. So can I just put it like this? Paul's really plowing down their tater patch. Self-control was something neither one of these people knew much about, and Paul was bringing a hard message to the governor and his wife. He preached about temperance. He preached about righteousness. And then, then he preached about judgment. That's point number three. He preached about judgment. This was where he was bringing his message around third base and was closing in on home plate. Here's the thing. Why do we do what we're doing? Why do we need to tell the world about Jesus? Why do we need to be saved? Because there is coming a judgment None of us know when it's going to happen. 
Faith in Christ concerns judgment to come. If either of these rulers knew anything about judgment before God, they apparently had never given much thought to the fact. And that's the thing that we see in our day. People simply don't think about it. People in church don't think about it much. You can tell because of the way people live their lives. Jonathan Edwards had a journal. I wish I had part of it. I'd read it to you. But he had a list of things that he read every single morning. And it all had to do with this. Here's what it sums up, okay? Would I do this in light of judgment? Would I do this if I knew I was standing before God today? Would I do this? It changes your life to live with eternity in mind, to live with the judgment in mind. And you may be standing back going, well, preacher, uh, I'm saved. Hallelujah. You're not going to be at the great white throne judgment, but you will stand in judgment. What do you mean, preacher? Well, 1 Corinthians tells us about it all. I'm not going to be judged for my sins. My sins are gone. Hallelujah. You know what I'm going to be judged for? I'm going to be judged for everything I'd done or did not do in the name of Christ from the time I got saved to the time I go to heaven. Paul writes and says, says, uh, talking about the wood, hay, and stubble, and the gold, and the silver, and the precious stones, and then he says this, some... I'm going to paraphrase this again. Some are going to make it in by the skin of their teeth. He says, some being saved so as by fire. In other words, they just barely got out. They've got no works to show Christ. They've got no crowns to lay at his feet. They stand before him on that day ashamed of their lives. They're going to heaven. Hallelujah. And you know what's sad for many people today? That's all they care about. Brother Elmo mentioned it in Sunday school this morning teaching. That's all they care about. Oh, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I don't care about nothing else. There's something wrong with that picture. Oh, where's your sense of urgency? Where's your sense of duty to to help someone else be saved? Where's your sense of pleasing the one who gave himself for you and gave everything for you? Yeah. Felix was an unjust judge. Now he's hearing that he must stand before God someday and give an account of his life and labor upon the earth. You know, Hebrews 9.27 tells us that as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We need to impress on the lost that life is short, death is sure, and judgment is coming. We have a sermon that was aimed, and i got two more points, but they'll be fast. We have a sermon that was aimed, and then we have a man that was hit. Look in verse 25. It says, and he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. What's the next word? Felix trembled. Now, the Holy Spirit never misses. The sermon that was aimed at Felix hit so hard that he trembled physically. It had such a spiritual impact that it affected his body. Trembled literally means he was alarmed and terrified. 
Now the Spirit of God brought conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And many people respond differently when conviction comes on their lives. Some people respond in faith and repentance while others respond in fear and rejection. And Felix found himself on trial before the Lord and his messenger. He was found guilty in the court of heaven and conviction of sin was upon his soul. Now, Roman leaders, this is interesting because Roman leaders prided themselves in their ability to be indifferent and restrain their emotions under all circumstances. But honey, let me tell you, a conviction from God will grip your heart. You won't be able to hide it. Paul had diagnosed the case. He offered the remedy. And now it was up to Felix to receive it. You think today you can be sick and you can go to the doctor and the doctor can tell you what's wrong with you and the doctor can tell you how to fix it. But honey, if you never grab the medicine, if you never go to the pharmacy and get that thing that is going to help you, if you never receive it and apply it to your body, you will never get better. And the same thing goes for salvation. Hmm. Conviction is not salvation. Conviction is necessary for salvation, but it is not salvation. We find that here in the life of Felix. It's important for us to see here that having an emotional experience in church is not what saves a person. Being under conviction is not what saves a person because Felix trembled. He was hit, but he only trembled. He did not trust. This leads us to the third point this morning, and that is an opportunity that was missed. We see a sermon that was aimed. We see a man that was hit. And then we see an opportunity that was missed. Look in verse 25 at the end of the verse. The Bible says, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. See, Felix was under conviction. Felix was terrified. But you know what Felix did? He responded the wrong way. What did he do? He procrastinated. He put off for tomorrow what he could have and should have done right then. And when God is dealing with your soul, it is then the right time to get right. We should never procrastinate. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have secured thee. That literally means help thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, Felix's name meant happy. And how ironic that he rejected the only pathway that leads to true happiness. He was interested in treasure, but he let go of the treasure of the gospel. He sat in judgment of Paul, but in reality, Paul was sitting in judgment of him. The governor's mind was enlightened. His emotions were stirred, but his will would not yield. He tried to gain the world, but as far as we know, he lost his soul. What did he do? He procrastinated himself into hell. And what's interesting is for two years, the Bible says that he called for Paul. It says in verse number 27, or in verse 26, wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But he didn't send for Paul and commune with Paul to talk about Jesus. He was hoping Paul would throw up some money for him and let him get out. 
And what eventually happened in verse number 27, it says, but after two years. What happened after two years, preacher? A man showed up to take Felix's place. As far as we know, we never hear of him again. So what did he do? He procrastinated until he waited way too long. You know, the Bible does tell us that my spirit will not always strive with man. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not always going to work in men's heart and convict. I'm going to tell you, it's why it's so important. We've got so many people around Surrey County that thinks they can live up whatever they want. They know the Bible. They were raised in church. They understand it. And they think one of these days before they die, they're going to be able to accept Christ on their terms. That's not how it works. I'm not saying that all deathbed confessions are false. I'm not saying that at all. We read, uh, but I, I will say this. We only have one example of a deathbed confession in the Bible. And that's that thief on the cross. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you spend your whole life and you expect to be able to get saved whenever you want to, you are gambling with your soul. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that you must be drawn you must be drawn. That Holy Spirit has got to be convicting you. That's Bible. I'm no Calvinist, but that's Bible. We need to, this is so much more serious than what we think it is sometimes. Procrastination is one of Satan's most effective tools to use on men and women. The great expositor Clarence McCartney he told a story in one of his books about a meeting that took place in hell. He said Satan called his four leading demons together and commanded them to devise a plan that would keep more people from getting saved. One demon said, hey, I've got it. I'll go to earth and tell people that there is no God. Satan said, no, that'll never work. People can look all around them and see that there is a God. By the way, I think that's what's interesting. Spurgeon uh, wrote that... Uh, um, that atheists are a strange thing. Even the devils never fell into that vice. They believe. So God, I mean, so Satan looks at his demon here and he says, no, it's not going to work. People can look all around and tell there's a God. You can look in creation and tell there's a God. And by the way, Romans 1 backs that up. Another demon steps up and suggests, I'll go to earth and tell them there is no heaven. Satan replied, well, everybody knows that there's life after death and everybody wants to go to heaven. Right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want to go right now, right? Amen. So a third demon pops up and he suggests, let's tell them there's no hell. Satan said, no. Conscience tells them that their sins will be judged. And they do. People may reject the preacher all day long. They may reject the street preacher. They may reject the missionary. They may reject the gospel of Christ. But when they pillow their heads at night and they get alone with themselves. You, you, let me just tell you, there's no coincidence that our society wants to keep getting busier and busier and busier and busier. You know why? You know why that is? Because the busier we are is the less, less opportunity we have to think to get along with ourselves and think. Yeah, you look around at our society and if you don't believe what Ephesians 6 tells about our society being ruled by the prince and power of the earth, I, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know what else I could do to convince you of that. 
We have supposedly more conveniences than we've ever had, but yet we're busier than we've ever been. It's not just because people want to get more done. It's because the busier. I mean, you think about this. Used to when people lay their heads down at night and they start thinking about things, they'd start thinking about, well, they'd start discerning things in their mind. Start trying to figure out things in their mind. Think about things. You know what we're doing now? We're so busy when we lay down at night, we can't even sleep because our minds can't be turned off. We're thinking about what we got to do tomorrow, or what we got to do Wednesday, or go, what we got to do Friday, or what are we going to do about this, and what are we going to do about that, and what are we going to do? There's no reason. I mean, you think about it, there's no coincidence that we have more anxiety than we ever have. Something's wrong with society when like 70-some percent of our teenagers are having to take anxiety medication. Man, it's messed up. They shouldn't have to deal with things like that. There's no coincidence in any of that, though. No coincidence at all. So here's what happens. I forgot I was telling you a story. We can't tell them there's no hell. They just, their conscience, you know. So finally, this last demon, he, he steps up and he says, I've got it. I'll go to earth and tell people that there is a God. There is a heaven. There is a hell. But there's no hurry. Because you got plenty of time to live your life. You can deal with all that later. You know what ends up happening? We get so busy, we never think about it. And then oftentimes when we do think about it, it could be too late. I've watched some videos of guys, car crash. One of the things, I love watching dash cam videos. I want to go get me a dash cam, but I ain't got one yet. Y'all ever see these on YouTube and stuff? I've seen, I found one the other day, there's this guy, he had a camera attached to his, his motorcycle and he was doing about 140 down his highway and I mean, he's just, man. He decides to do a split chain. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's where you got two cars side by side and that motorcycle decides to come up right between them. This cat's doing about 140 miles an hour. And his truck that he's getting ready to split sped ahead and started to move over and his cat popped him right on the back. And if that didn't kill him, it flipped him over. I mean, it's bad. Flips him over, throws him, I don't know how far down the road, and an 18-wheeler semi that was trying his best to slow down runs him over and kills him. You know one thing that boy didn't have time to do? And that's how, that's how death comes for most of us. Not necessarily like that. But what I mean is, we're not prepared. We're not ready for it. Brother Wade mentioned their family friend or, uh, that passed away. 79 years old, right? But even at 79 was not expecting to have a heart attack and go out into eternity. You go out in a graveyard and there's all different ages. I doubt for many of us, 
It's going to be 140 miles an hour split, change, split lane changing down a highway. But still, the reality of it is, I could drop dead right here with a heart attack. We could have aneurysm in our head and not understand. I got a childhood friend, his daddy dropped dead one day. He was in his 40s. He dropped dead in their living room. He had an aneurysm. All he knew is he had a bad headache. He came home early from work. That's all he had. Took some leaves, sat down. Went to stand up to go get something to eat and fell over dead as a doornail. We don't know. We don't know. And Satan has got us so busy that we never stop to think about it. And that's why it is so important that we're ready. My friend, the most important thing is that you're saved. But let me tell you something. If you're a Christian this morning, the most important thing is, are you living for Jesus? I don't want to be ashamed when I meet him. I don't want to be ashamed when I meet him. And apparently this lie of don't get in no hurry. I know I'm being long this morning, but I got a lot to say. Apparently. I didn't realize this when I stepped into the pulpit. But apparently this lie has worked. And it has worked well. Because thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and millions of people have slid into hell because they were waiting. Because they were waiting, like Felix, as he says, for a more convenient season. You know what people use? Oh, preacher, I, man, I got this job. I don't want to give it up. And man, I got this friend. I don't want to give them up. Preacher, I got this that I like to do and that I like to do. And I know if I become a Christian, God's going to take that away from me. Well, he might. I promise you, he'll give you something in replacement he'll give you many things to replace whatever it is i'm gonna be honest with you i've never met somebody yet that regretted getting saved they've never regretted it we see an opportunity that was missed the sermon was aimed the target was hit but the opportunity was missed found this little poem said he was going to be all that a mortal could be tomorrow. No one would be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew, who'd be glad of a lift, and he needed it too. On him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. But the fact is he died and faded from view, and all that was left when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. But what if tomorrow doesn't? What if tomorrow never comes? 